0: Hello and welcome to the March 2020 episode of the MDS podcast, the podcast channel of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society. I am Michele Matarazzo from the HM-SINAC in Madrid, Spain, and today we're going to discuss a very interesting paper published in the Movement Disorders Journal titled Antibiotic Exposure and Risk of Parkinson's Disease in Finland, a Nationwide Case-Controlled Study. To do so, we have the pleasure to have with us the senior author of the article, Dr. Philip from the Department of Neurology of the University of Helsinki. Hi, Philip, and thank you for joining.
1: Hello, Michele, and thank you very much for the invitation. Happy to be here.
0: Uh, Let me take advantage of having on the podcast one of the major experts uh, on the role of microbiome in Parkinson's disease and ask you for some background on this very hot topic. So since your paper on gut microbiota back in 2015, uh, also published in the Movement Disorder Journal, the interest in the field has grown exponentially. And this has been investigated also by other groups. Where are we now? Can we say that gut microbiota has a causative role in Parkinson's disease? Or can we say it may serve as a biomarker?
1: Yeah, so uh, that's a very good question. So I think um, what we have learned in recent years since our first publication is first of all that there is quite a good base of evidence now that on average the microbiome in Parkinson's disease patients uh in the gut is, is different from that of healthy control subjects. So I think that has been now shown across different populations and different ethnical uh, groups. So I think in that sense that is quite quite convincing. But there is uh, nevertheless uh, still variability. So I think there is still open questions in whether there is a certain specific pattern for Parkinson's disease uh, microbiome changes and whether that is detectable across different different geographical or ethnic groups. So, so far, we have seen, um, I would say there is about 14 to 15 studies out there that have looked at the microbiome in Parkinson's and controls, and with a lot of methodological differences, and about the best overlap that we have seen between these studies is that we get the same uh, result in about 9 to 10 out of these studies, and and, and the most, the best reproduced findings is a reduction of Prevotella bacteria, then, then an increase of Acromantia, uh bacteria and Parkinson's disease. And and then there is um, also re- relatively well reproduced findings of a reduction in in bacteria that produce uh, short chain fatty acids and an increase of uh, lactobacilli and bifidobacteria. So I think this is the, the the best reproduced findings. I think after that we end up with uh, more questions than than answers at at this point. So I think the the next steps that we really have to take and that that have been taken uh, first steps have been taken to that direction is is to look more into the functional consequences uh, of, of these changes. Uh, so what does it mean, let's say, in terms of the metabolic activity of the bacteria? What does it mean in terms of the interaction with the, with the immune system and also alpha-synuclein? And so what's the functional functional impact? And, and so these are pretty demanding studies, but I think within the next months and years, we will see more and more of these coming and, and we will learn learn more about it. When it comes to a a causative role in PD, I I would say that from human studies, we have absolutely no no evidence for for that. So all of these are only observational studies. We have, however, encouraging findings from from animal studies, for example, alpha-synuclein overexpressing uh, rodent models, where it has been shown that by modulating the microbiota, uh, it is possible to also modulate certain uh, aspect of Parkinson's pathology, uh, for example, constipation, but also alpha-synuclein aggregation and, and neuroinflammation. So, like, on a principle level, I think in, in, in rodent models, this has worked. So there is, like, a, a reason to, to study this also further in humans and to, to believe that it may be possible that there is also a causal connection in humans, but there is not really <clears throat> any evidence from, from human studies. And in terms of the biomarker, um, aspect, I don't think that at this point we could say that we have a specific Parkinson's signature in the microbiome. The changes that, that have been described, uh, many of those have been found also in other disorders, maybe with the exception of, of increase of, of acromansia, which is very interesting because it seems to be more related to neurological disorders so far, but uh, without knowing exactly the functional implications. So I don't see at the horizon currently that the microbiome would be necessarily a biomarker for Parkinson's. Itself, but I think what the data is showing us is that there is a certain subgroup of Parkinson's patients that has a very prominent change of the microbiome composition, whereas others are more resemble actually healthy control subjects. And and so I think the microbiome can be a tool to further gratify Parkinson's patients to identify subtypes and, and to look at different, you know, pathogen, pathological processes that may act differently in different subtypes of PD, and to help us, you know, understand this better and to develop more individualized uh, treatment for patients.
0: Well, I'm really expecting to see more results in the close future. Hopefully, uh, about uh, possibly you know, knowing better how we should use the information from the microbiome in Parkinson's disease. But what about the antibiotic exposure? Is there any previous evidence that antibiotic exposure may have a relationship with Parkinson's or maybe also with other neurodegenerative or other neuro- neurological disorders?
1: So I'm not aware of any study that would have previously specifically looked at a connection between antibiotic exposure and CD in terms of infectious burden. So the number and severity of infections during during lifetime. There has been some suggestions that, that this could be related to the risk of neurodegenerative disease. There is some evidence for Alzheimer's in that respect, and, and that is also why we try to account for, for that possibility in our, our study. So infectious burden and antibiotic exposure are basically two different things, and it's, it's, uh, you should carefully try to you know disentangle those two because they're obviously correlated with, with each other. So I'm not aware of any specific studies in terms of connecting antibiotics and neurodegenerative diseases. But there were other disease groups that have been uh, linked to, um, that show an increased risk after antibiotic exposure. For example, uh, obesity in in children, inflammatory bowel disorders, colorectal cancer, and actually also certain uh, psychiatric disorders, for example, depression and, and anxiety have been linked to an increased preceding use of antibiotics. So I think this is slowly accumulating this evidence that the antibiotic use may actually cause certain problems in the long term. So I think this is interesting finding. And, and actually, one one recent study from, from Australia that just came out this year was able to connect uh, antibiotic exposure and a decrease of specifically Prevotella bacteria in, in children to worse uh, behavioral outcome at 12 months follow-up. So they were going a bit more even into the microbiome uh, level there, and obviously interesting for me because Prevotella is also some uh, a bacterium that has come up repeatedly in Parkinson's. So and well, maybe related to the gut brain axis and um, and so on. So so I think there is more and more coming, and I hope that this will be studied more. And, and obviously we need to also studies from different populations to to really confirm. Findings across
0: different populations. Great. So, again, a lot of work to do in the field. Uh, but now let's focus on the present article. So, the main message here is that there may be a relationship between the exposure to certain antibiotics and the risk of developing Parkinson's disease in the following years. Now, statistically speaking, this is a highly complex study as you had to take into account many possible confounders. Uh, you mentioned some of them before. And obviously, you needed a huge cohort with a very long follow-up. How did you manage to do this study?
1: Well, first of all, I have to express my great thanks to, to my PhD student, uh, Thomas Mertzame, who was primarily uh, involved in, in conducting this study and analyzing um, the data. So I think in, in Finland, as in several other countries, for example, Scandinavia, we're privileged with, um, with very high-quality uh, national registries that allow us basically to, to study certain epidemiological connections across the whole across the whole population. And for for this study, we actually needed to combine several registries. So we used uh, information on, on diagnosis from the registry of, of healthcare in, in Finland. And so we used that to a certain PD diagnosis. Then we, we used the population registry to, to retrieve match control subjects and to double-check that. In the health registry, there is no, none of these, um, you know, exclusionary diagnosis. And then we we use the prescription registry that essentially registers each time when a subject is actually buying uh medication and is getting reimbursed for medication. This is registered so we know the the medication that that has been taken out of the pharmacy. Uh, and eventually, we were using reimbursement registries also to ascertain that our PD patients also were uh receiving increased reimbursement for Parkinson's drugs. So we this is what we use to basically be as sure as possible that we're actually dealing with Parkinson's patients. And and so that's basically how these studies are done. And then since we were interested in how this may be related to to the um development of Parkinson's disease, we decided to specifically look at different time frames of exposure, the so one to five, five to ten and and uh, ten to fifteen years before the index date and to look at this separately because we we know that there is the hypothesis of a long prodromal period in Parkinson's disease. And so we wanted to see whether this would be reflected in in, in the data if we saw differences for different um, timeframes.
0: Well, uh, I think that to have huge databases and to have you know this big data hype that we're having right now is really going to help us drawing more conclusion in the different disorders, uh, obviously between them also Parkinson's disease. But I was amazed when I was reading at the paper to see that this was being done already in the previous century in Finland. So I think that's a huge opportunity to already have a lot of data to analyze that you are doing right now. So can you now share with our listener the main results of your study?
1: Uh, yes, of course. Quickly, so just to tell you a bit more about the cohort that we acquired. So essentially, we ended up with uh, about 14,000 Parkinson's patients, and about forty thousand on subjects, and the median follow-up for this cohort board uh, a bit over 14 years. And for all the analysis that we conducted, we adjusted those for certain factors that could be independently linked or linking Parkinson's risk and antibiotic exposure, such as Crohn's disease, osteoporosis, colitis, irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, and then as a surrogate for smoking, we were using EOPD. And, and we're also uh, taking into account stroke and, and CIA. And then uh, Charlson comorbidity index that covers a lot of different uh, potential comorbidities. Then also Helicobacter pylori eradication was it in separate fund that we adjusted for, and also the, the frequency viral infections during follow up. So this is what we looked at. And as I mentioned, we had three different time frames that we that we looked at, and uh, we quantified the antibiotic exposure by the number of courses that the patient had uh, taken out of the pharmacy, and so a bit depending on drug uh, class. Uh, usually we, we we have groups that have either been not exposed at all to the certain drug or that had one course during the whole study period or two to four courses or five courses or more. So these were the different groups. And so essentially what we looked at was not only if overall antibiotic exposure, so the number of any antibiotic course, would be related to Parkinson's disease. That we were interested to, to look at, and that was actually a predefined sub-analysis. We looked at the different antibiotics from different angles. So we, we looked first of all at the associations by chemical groups, so by the by the type of, of molecule, but we also looked at the mechanism of action and the antibiotic spectrum. And, and the antibiotic spectrum, we specifically separated two dimensions. So one was drugs that, that target anaerobic bacteria and other antibiotics that do not target these bacteria. And then we compared broad spectrum with uh, narrow spectrum antibiotics. And over 90% of the bacteria in the gut are obligate anaerobes. So essentially, they will be targeted by anti-anaerobics. So what we found was that overall, we saw the strongest connections between exposure and targeting risk. risks for the period of 10 to 15 years before the patient was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And the strongest finding was for macrolide and minkosamide. So these are antibiotics that are frequently described for, for example, respiratory infections, also for certain deep tissue infections, and those are excreted into the the bile. Uh, And and it has been shown, for example, for clindamycin, that this has very strong and long-lasting effects on the microbiome. And for this group, we found an odd ratio of uh, adjusted odds ratio up to 1.416, uh, so uh, about a 40% increased risk of, of Parkinson's disease for subjects that have been using five or more forces of these antibiotics in the period of 10 to 15 years before, before onset of, of, of Parkinson's disease. Furthermore, we found that in particular, antibiotics that are targeting anaerobic bacteria were associated with an increased Parkinson's disease risk, and that was also strongest for uh, the 10 to 15-year uh, period, whereas we didn't find any association for antibiotics that do not act on uh, anaerobic bacteria at all. And another thing that I would like to mention is, is that in, in the post-hoc analysis, we, we also found that broad spectrum antibiotics showed uh, an association, whereas narrow spectrum antibiotics did not. So we didn't really find any association uh, related to the mechanism of action. We find all, found also certain associations, for example, for tetracyclines. That was all for, also for the 10 to 15 years for the index date. And interestingly, uh, also connected for sulfonamides and trimethoprim. But that was one to five years before the index date. And we, we think that this may be actually what, uh, what has been named as protopathic bias. So basically meaning that it's actually probably related to early symptoms of, of Parkinson's disease, because so these are drugs that almost exclusively in are used for the treatment of the urinary tract infection. So we think that might be related to uh, certain dysautonomia that the patients may already have. So that's a bit of, of speculation, obviously. And interestingly, that we actually didn't expect was that we found also a connection for antifungal medications that was actually quite strong, up to 25% increased risk Uh, Of Parkinson's disease. Uh, The delay was shorter, so it wasn't the one to 10 year period before Parkinson's disease medication. But a reasonably strong association with antifungal medication, and that was actually adjusted for antibiotic exposure. So that's not explained by uh, fungal infections that are caused by antibiotics. So, in a nutshell, I think that I can say that the strongest associations were related to the antibiotic spectrum and to certain individual uh, antibiotic groups that are known to heavily influence the the microbiome, and in particular, drugs that target uh, anaerobic bacteria that have a broad antibiotic spectrum. And and mostly it was with a long delay, 10 to 15 years, and for multiple courses of antibiotics.
0: Well, thank you. So you just gave us an idea of how complex the analysis of all this is. And uh, as you were saying that you have to take into account that some of the relationship could be due to this protopathic effect. Some of them may actually have more relationship to the causation or the microbiome print of Parkinson's disease. And uh, again, with the antifungal therapy, it's uh, even more complex the the interpretation of the data uh, but it seems uh, really interesting that's basically what you say that broad uh, spectrum antibiotics do have a relationship and in in a time frame that is more or less in agreement with the time frame that we think the start of parkinson's could be so 10 to 15 years before the actual um, begin of symptoms so i think these results are highly interesting And they are especially interesting also for the potentially real-world translational impact in clinical practice. Do you think we should modify the use of antibiotic therapy? Or do you think that we still need more evidence before changing that?
1: Well, I think, I mean, our results basically showing that uh, the association is stronger, for example, for broad spectrum antibiotics, I think at this point doesn't really, uh, in terms of, of the actions that should be taken doesn't really add that much in comparison to what has been suggested anyway to prevent microbial resistance. So I think um, in in that sense we should still go with a general uh, principle of, of trying to to prescribe antibiotics only for conditions that that actually are clearly caused by bacteria and that really require antibiotic treatment and then try to, to use as narrow spectrum as possible and also to to try to use as short courses as possible, so in that sense, I think the same message comes also from our results, but I think it adds onto the you know list of potential harms of antibiotics because many most people still only talk about oh, the antibiotic resistance, and I think still it's it's obviously less well understood but but it opens up now also the the question whether we should think about really long-term harms that antibiotic and repeated antibiotic use can have. And, and so it's even I think it's just reinforcing the already existing you know, uh, suggestions uh, to, to really restrict antibiotic use to, to the cases where it's where absolutely necessary.
0: Perfect. And what about the future? Do you plan to keep studying this relationship with antibiotics or what do you have in mind for the future research on this topic?
1: Well, for the antibiotic connection, I think I would just love to see this um, being looked at in other populations as well. So I'm really looking forward to to that. Uh, What we are um, currently doing is that we're looking in our Parkinson's cohort at the antibiotic uh, resistance genes in the the stool microbiome. So to see whether, for example, this antibiotic connection is reflected also in, for example, the enrichment of certain uh, resistance genes in the microbiome of these patients. But, but our main focus is really into into extending our studies on, on the microbiome in general, in relation to, to Parkinson's disease. To, uh, we're doing longitudinal studies, and we really are going heavily now into functional implications, studying host microbiome interactions in established, and as well as prodromal Parkinson's disease. So, so I hope that in the next uh, month, we will hopefully see some new interesting results that that go beyond what we have or we and others have already have already published on that
0: so basically giving the step from relationship to uh, to understanding the mechanism which I think it's the most interesting part here. well, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience
1: uh not specifically i would like to thank you for for your interest in our research. And yeah, I think that the microbiome really is opening up a new door into understanding or better understanding Parkinson's disease. And I personally, I'm rather positive uh, on seeing this as a phenotype marker that will help us to further identify subgroups within the Parkinson's population that we can use to, to develop more specific uh, approaches for these subjects. And so that we will hopefully have more successful trials, not only for symptomatic interventions, but also hopefully at some point for, for disease modifying.
0: Perfect. Now, before we leave, uh, let me remind all the audience that this article is also going to be available for CME credits, which are free for all the MDS members. And thank you, Philip, again, for being with me today. And thank you all for listening.